Episode of the NRL Supercoach All Stars podcast. This is Barnsey back again, exactly one week from TLT, just about, and just over a week from our first game on the Thursday night. So, pretty exciting times. We've got two team previews tonight that we're going to do for the Melbourne Storm and also the Cronulla Sharks, but we're going to actually have a special week this week where we're going to have a double pod. So, on uh, the end of the week, on Friday sometime, we're going to release a second podcast, which is going to have the last two teams, being Manly and also the Warriors, that we're going to do team previews for as well. Just so we've got plenty of time to do a TLT-only Tuesday podcast next week. So, a lot happening, uh, getting towards the end of the team preview podcast. So, who better to bring back on board than Big, big Bad Billy? So, Billy, back again, mate. How have you been going the last sort of month or so since everybody's heard from you? My abstinence is a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I, I did feel half special then for a minute. You said I oh, would come up with a special podcast this week. I was waiting for you to say Billy's back, but no, we're having another one at the end of the week without Billy. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> well, you're one of the two this week, so I mean, we could say you're the second one if you want to feel special about it. Oh, thanks, mate. You're just saying that. Nah, it's good to be back, mate. Good to chat footy again. Um, be, uh, good to stop sort of, um, looking at the watch and keep checking Facebook for changes. It's a bit kind of silly, but just looking forward to having some footy again, mate, particularly Thursday night. Yeah, it should be really good. And it's, it's come along pretty quickly as well. I'll, um, I'll do my best tonight, but I actually, uh, am suffering from a medical injury. So, uh, I may, I may struggle, but I'll, I'll stay on the field and I'll stick to it and I'll do my best, but I actually got a, a flying elbow to the throat on Monday night at basketball. And um, I tell you, like I haven't, I was saying to the guys after the game, I haven't, I haven't had a, a throat punch since I played footy. So it's been like, you know, 12, 12 odd years since I probably felt that. You forget how much it hurts. I, tell, I don't know if you've been hitting the throat, Billy, but it is one of the worst hits that you can take. Copped a few in the year, mate, but nothing's going to stop you talking, is it? <laughs> Not about these teams, mate. I'm excited we're getting up to the footy. But my voice is a little bit, how's it going at the moment? Um, and I've only just started being able to eat properly after a couple of days off from Monday. So <laughs> I'll hopefully be able to sleep tonight because it's kind of hard to swallow. So, um, yeah, didn't break anything, but far That's out. That's all right, mate. Looking on the right side, mate. After talking about the sharks, it might put you to sleep. Yeah, well, well, at least we're finishing on that one, I guess. But no, there's a, there's a few good ones in the Sharkies talk. That's all right. We'll get rid of some housekeeping first, though, guys. Uh, so obviously, we've got the two podcasts this week, uh, and we've also got our partnership with Top Sport. And if you haven't seen yet, they've got the NRL markets up. They've even got some whole season markets up for the futures bets as well. You can even bet on you know how many wins or losses over and under each team's going to have, where they're going to finish in the eight and a lot of other markets. But pretty shortly, they're not up yet, but the Supercoach markets are going to be up on Top Sport as well. So Top Sport obviously partners with the All-Stars podcast. Fantastic, 100% Australian-owned betting agency in Australia. Get on them if you're interested in having a punt. If you do so, make sure that you go for the promo code SC All-Stars or one word. And they'll take care of you because they'll know that you're one of our listeners as well. And uh, I know that Billy hasn't been on the All-Stars podcast since we've gone into partnership with Top Sport. But, mate, you must be excited to get on some of these super coach markets. 
Oh mate, don't get me started. I've already been talking to Scotty, one of the uh, one of the brokers of the bookies that makes a lot of the markets, and he's they're very keen to hear from uh, from our listeners as to any sort of ideas they want on markets. So, looking forward to some of the prices coming up pretty soon. We'll, we'll maybe show in a couple of pod plays that people can look at, but keen to hear from the listeners on any sort of particular SC markets as well. We might just get your wish, guys. Yeah, and I'll definitely be having a look with keen interest next Tuesday after TLT to see what's up there because it's going to be really interesting. Uh, and you don't have stuff like I saw that uh, Moneyball's meant to be back, and I don't really want to promote Moneyball, but they're meant to be back, but they're not doing daily fantasy stuff either. So you know, it could be the the itch that you need to scratch where you can just get on some of the daily stuff just by putting some over and unders on uh, on Top Sport and stuff instead, which um, could be pretty profitable. There might be some really good markets early on. So Top Sport's great. Billy, we've got two teams coming up here that are pretty opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, let's start off with the Storm. So with the Melbourne Storm side, they've obviously got one big loss that we think's a loss, but we're not really sure yet, and that's Cameron Smith. Is he going to play? Do we even know? Oh, who knows, mate? Don't know if if so. Don't know where he's going to end up, but it's not going to be down there, that's for sure. It's going to be pretty funny if he turns around and says, "I'll play again," and he wants to go to the storm. But <laughs> funnily enough, they need a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really do. Uh, well, look, we're going to. He's not even on any of the official losses. You know, you go through online at all the official losses that the storm have had contract-wise, and he's not even on there. So, but we're going to throw him on there. So we're going to say that Cameron Smith is gone. Uh, Shandor Earl's retired. Tino's obviously gone to the Titans. Uh, Momoroski over the Panthers and Vinavalu over to Union and then just a couple other guys that were not really in first grade too much. As far as the gains go, realistically, you know, it's Remus Smith and George Jennings that might get a run. Uh, and they're the two main ones. So, I mean, overall, Billy, as far as their roster goes, they've lost a lot. Uh, when you take out Cameron Smith, um, and you also take out Big Tino. Um, they've they've lost quite a bit. Yeah, they sure have, mate. And honestly, the the only ones really sort of keen on are the ones that are going to get you know a few a few more minutes, which isn't going to be many. Um, Pappy maybe kicking in, uh, hopefully later this year or whenever he gets a new contract. That young Nico Hines kid, but we'll go through one at a time when we get. Yeah, so I mean, I sort of have been thinking the last couple of years that the storm might not be quite as good. And obviously that hasn't worked out for a couple of years. I am going to stick to my guns, though. I don't think that they're going to be in the grand final this year. But I think that they are going to benefit from the lack of quality sides in the NRL, I'll put it that way. So I've spoken with pretty much everyone that there's probably, you know, four you know, definite sort of top four-ish type of teams. And, and maybe, you know, you could throw the Eels in there as sort of a fifth team potentially. But outside yeah. of that, there's a fair drop-off. So the Storm have probably got a luxury where it's not a really... Tough top eight. Um, there's not eight teams that are all really good that could all finish anywhere. Uh, I think there's only really those four or five. So the storm, the storm will be in the top, the top four again. I would say. Yeah, they they always are thereabouts. I think they got good good recruitment. Um, before we go into the teams, I mean, what, what do you make of the announcements today, particularly the one on uh, the half retention with Young Hughes? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was a really good signing by them, uh, and it really goes to show. I guess what having a good, well-run club can do, um, because you know he got offered 2.5 million to go to the Warriors over two years, wow. which is massive money. I mean, it's in a way like when I first saw the figure, 1.25 odd a year, I sort of said, "Wow, that's a real Warriors contract. It's such a bad, bad deal to be paying 
use that money. But then I saw it was only for two years, and I actually thought, wow, that's actually a pretty smart deal because they are overs, big overs on him, but it's only for a two-year period, which I think is kind of smart because it's what they need to do to kind of lure someone like him over, but they haven't really kneecapped themselves long-term. So I thought it was a really good offer from um, the Warriors, actually. But the fact that he turned it down and said, you know, I'd rather stick with the Storm. And he's going to be getting far less at the Storm. Like, I I don't even think the Storm even paid him a million a year sort of thing. I didn't see the deal, but it's a coup for them to keep him. Yeah, I don't know who tweeted it, but I said over two, over two, believed to be over over two for the deal, but uh, I reckon that's, this is me speculating, (laughs) cat cat surfer knowing everything. I kind of thought, surely that's inclusive of the optional third year. It's more like a sort of 700k deal, just over the two mil mark. I, I can't see it being over a mil for a year. They'd be particularly not in that team either. I mean, that, that, that's Teddy money. Surely he's not getting that. Well, I mean, I, I could see them paying about 900, which is probably about right. Like I think that that's probably what he's on. Uh, and I like just because they had to, because I mean that's still 350k a year below what he could have gotten. So it's a big drop off even to 900. Yeah, fair point. I suppose. Look, they've got Pappy, Pappy, Pappy in the halves, and you know, oh, they got Grant too. Yeah, look, typical Storm. Pay, pay big and pay big in the spine. Rotate your sort of, you know, yeah, the the rest the rest of the pack. As long as you've got big bodies in the middle. I mean, they're not they're not the sort of team that are going to pay six, seven, eight hundred bucks for a, a Tino. So of course they're going to lose by players like that. But to retain guys like that in the spine. Probably a very good reason why recipe recipe for success and why they've been so successful for so long. Yeah, the only thing I was surprised about is that they spent Cameron Smith's money because surely they need to have that aside for when he returns, don't they? <laughs> I oh, had to mate. say it. 20, 20, 20 games divided by what? No, four. I'm sure it fractions out to not too much. Well. Anyway, let's have a look at their draw as well and see how that rounds out because as good as they are, you know, some of it is still a bit draw dependent um, and they are going to have, I will say before we talk about the draw, the other thing that does strike me with them and why I say that they might not go as well um, is certainly at the start, I kind of feel like the life after Cameron Smith is going to be quite different. It's not just the play that he has and his actual output and try assists and stuff. It's his management on the field of his team. It's his management of the defensive line. It's his management of the referees. It's everything. And they don't... You can have a guy that can step in and be like, say, you know, you lose a winger that finishes, like Adokar. You can find another winger that can score tries and finish. You can't just put someone in a hooker that's going to do what Cameron Smith does. Um, There's very few sort of leaders in the game that can manage a game the way he did, but was also really allowed to, to be perfectly frank, um, with his you know tenure and, and veteranship that he has with the referees and everything else on field too. So I think that they're, they're going to actually struggle a little bit. Um, they'll probably, I'm sure they'll write the ship because of Bellamy, but do you sort of think that maybe there's going to be an adjustment period at the start? I, you'd think so. Um, I've, I've never played footy, but mate, so it's really hard for someone like me to look back and just see how someone, how one player like Smith manages a team as, a, as compared to, you know, someone at the bottom, bottom, end, bottom end of the ladder. Um, or I see it from a super coach perspective and from, you know, watching, watching, watching attacking players. I don't see a guy like sort of Michael Ennis just passing the ball on the chest right, right from dummy half all the time and never really missing the mark and sort of talking on the field. Those kind of things I can't, I don't see as well as you. So I have to take your word for it, how good he is in the middle. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that's now an elephant in the room is it kind of 
They kind of got away with it before where it was more like, well, you know, Harry Grant's a really good player too and he'll start at hooker. And they've got some other good players around still as well. They've now got a Harry Grant injury, so he's no longer going to be at hooker. Um, that brings Brandon Smith out of their middle rotation, which is going to hurt them in the middle. And they also lose Finucane, um, who's, a, who's a really good forward leader as well. And those guys are going to be gone for the better part of the first six or seven weeks. Um, certainly Finucane will be. Maybe Harry Grant comes back a month or five weeks in. But that that on top of Smith, you know, I think that's going to make the adjustment even harder, I reckon. Yeah, I know. Add on top of that, um, uh, uh, was, was it Bellamy that said he wanted to keep a captain on the field at, at all times? So he was doing a lot of rotation. So he was going to... Yeah, so what, what does that <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to kind of mean it's a lot harder. I mean, Jesse Bromwich can't play big minutes, so and Finucane's not going to be there. So I'm not really sure. But, I mean, the other thing, too, is that when you start to look at this draw, uh, the first three weeks isn't very good at all. Um, so they play South at home. And South, on top sport anyway, uh, over $2 outsiders. And I actually already bet South to win. Like, I really like South um, to start this season. And oh, they, right they look like one of the top ones. They're to be like $2.20, I think they were, $2.10 or something. Like, that was a really good bet. That's a tough game for the Storm. Um, and then they hit your Eels and the Penrith Panthers both away. So at Bank West and then at Panthers Stadium. That's a that's a tough three weeks to start with. I like to think it's a tough three weeks. More likely two, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, mate. <laughs> Devil's advocate. Yeah, look, it... It, it, it is a it is a hard start to the season. Um, the only caveat in there you got to think of is um, m- most people are basically choosing like, choosing between sort of Munster and sort of uh, Walker. So you'd have to look at Walker and go, he's got a hard hard start to the season as, as well with, with, with the Storm. So it doesn't really matter as much if, who you choose there. It's more it's more so what happens in game three, four, and five that you got to sort of pick the lot away. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the thing is that it does get easier from round four, but then they don't really have more than two weeks in a row of really good games. So, I mean, round four, they hit the Broncos at home, which is great for them. Uh, Then round five, they're away, but against the Bulldogs. So those are two games that the Storm should do pretty well in. But then they hit another hard one, where even though they're at home, they're going to be playing the Roosters, which typically Roosters, Storm are, are pretty dire affairs. Then they get a couple of easier ones, where they get the... Um, the Warriors at home and the Sharkies at home, they're two that they should walk over. But then they hit another South game where they actually play South twice in the first nine weeks. Uh, then you think they've got a bit of a reprieve. Around 10, they hit the Dragons. But then, again, here's the hard game. They have to go to GIO Stadium at Canberra and play the Raiders in round 11, who traditionally match up very well against the Storm. And then they've got a couple of easier games uh, leading to the round 13 bye, which they do actually play. So... I think the draw is actually low-key, fairly difficult for the Storm. They've got a few really good games sprinkled in, but, geez, they've got you know quite a few tough ones. So definitely, they're playing Raiders once, South twice, uh, Penrith, Roosters, and Eels all once as well. Uh, those are all potentially top four-ish type of teams. Mate, I've looked at it time and time and time again. I've, I've looked at all those numbers for each of those players and put them in categories, so uh, I'll save... I'll save some more commentary for each player as we get through it, mate. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, let's get into the players. Now, the first guy that a lot of super coaches are talking about is obviously going to be Pappy. So, Pappenhausen uh, had a bit of a mixed season, which I don't think a lot of people remember. So, I think there's a lot of recency bias when people are thinking about Pappenhausen because I think they're thinking about the end of his season, but... 
I'm a little bit glass half empty on him, even though I really like him as an option. He does come in at 700,000. He did average 71 points a game, which last preseason, me and you spoke about him. And he was one of our favourite players because he was only 500k. We thought he would average 70s. He did actually average 70s. Uh, but because of that, he comes in at 200k more. I know that he's probably going to be the smart play to have. And I'd never say to anyone not to have him. Um, because it does look like he's got the goal kicking too, which you could probably say is maybe 12 points extra a game. So that's huge because it could mean that if you just tack it on to what he did last year, I mean, all of a sudden he's, he's averaging in the 80s, which is massive, and he's like an 83-point player or something thereabouts. It's huge, and it looks like a no-brainer now that you've got, obviously, Trevojevic out and Ponga out as well. But if you have, have a look properly and a little bit, um, I guess, glass half empty rather than just how he finished, you know, his first six games last year, he only averaged 47 points a game. Now, I remember this very well as someone who started with him, and me and you spoke about it a lot, you know, what's going on with him, because the Storm were winning and they were playing well. And if you ended up putting that goal kicking onto what he did the first six weeks of last year, he doesn't even hit 60 points a game. So I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I really think that everybody almost is ignoring the, the flaw that he kind of has that he showed last year. Now, a lot of people are going to say, Billy, that Pappenhausen, um, you know, it was his first full season, which is fair. Um, maybe, you know, without Cameron Smith, he takes a bit more of a role in the attack and he gets his hand on the ball. All valid, but at the end of the day, um, you know, he still had a lot of experience before last year in playing first grade. Um, and he still only managed to go a six-week period averaging 47 points a game on a run where they had some pretty good teams and wins. And I just, I'm I'm not going to say I'm worried about it, but it's certainly there when I'm having a look at Pappenhausen that there is a reality where he could start off not as well. And the counter-argument to no Cameron Smith is, yes, that might give him more usage, but maybe it will make it harder for him. Maybe it will be harder for the Storm in a new spine to actually hit their structures early and stuff that are going to give him the opportunities to score bulk supercoach points. To be fair, to finish off on him before I hand over to you, because you're probably a bit different on him than me, but out of his last 11 games, when you're excluding his first six, his last 11 games out of the 17 he played, he actually had five tons and, you know, legitimately was, uh, you know, an 80s average scorer and there were some big tons in there. So he he showed what he could do. I guess it's just that I kind of expected that to be there from the start last year, and it wasn't. Yeah, I'm going to go out and limb and say that's why I didn't win last year. <laughs> 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 no, you're 100% on the nail on the head, mate. Um, the, the the first six games of last of, of last year were frustrating because he only had one try and zero try assist, and watching him every every week was bloody frustrating because he was. Um, he was there for every single support play, every single offload. They just—it was like watching Watson three years ago when he when he was in fullback. He was there every single play. They just didn't give it to him. Just got absolutely nothing away. It was frustrating as hell to watch. Um, so obviously that's when they clicked, right? And from what you from what you were saying with uh, so round round seven when he when he when he scored that that first try after that first six rounds, yep. Average. So he's priced at seventy one, right? From round. Round seven, when he finally clicked with them, rest of the year averaged 83, and that was without goal kicking, with a ton every second game. Yep. Uh, lowest score was so 34, 34 to 37. So two, so two scores under 60. 
I wouldn't say he's a captaincy option um, every week on last year, but the fact that he's got kicking this year makes makes his floor a 50, basically. Um, so if, if, you, if, you, if you think he's going to have the same form as last year, once he actually clicked, 83 at the kicking, you're looking at sort of a 95 average. So you're looking at the sort of Teddy territory. No guarantee he's going to get that, but I'm going to go out of limb and say he... He, he found his routines with the team. His assists and line break assists went through the roof end of last year. He's been filling the tackle bus categories all year. It was just taking that, finding that time to sort of gel with the rest of the team, mate. So the, he was borderline 50-50 being in my team to start with. It was him or um, Trevorich, probably Trevorich. The, the, the mere fact that he's got the kicking now, he went above Turbo even before the injury, injury mate. The fact that Turbo's out now, it's Teddy and him all the way, absolutely cemented, not moving at all. Yeah, Teddy and him are definitely the two smart choices. Um, and I I think it will probably end up being the, the best two choices to start with. Um, I will say, much to probably your disgust and a few listeners, at the moment I don't have Papanhausen as my second one. I kind of had a look at it and I've got a lot of fairly heavily owned guys. I, I sort of thought I didn't really have a lot of pods in my back line especially. Uh, and I'm, I do think that Pappenhausen will go well. I don't think that he's going to start off an average, you know, 50 points a game or anything, um, or under 60. But I'm kind of banking on the fact that maybe he'll average 65, uh, which will be decent. Um, but I can get a jagged bigger run out of someone else. Um, and I tell you what, it's mainly the, the first few games of that draw that put me off a little bit. The fact that they're still going to be gelling a little bit. And that draw is kind of tough. And Pappenhausen is just, you know, 40% of people own Travojevic. You know, I'd go out on a limb and say 30% of that 40% have gone on a Pappenhausen. And the remaining 10% just haven't jumped on him yet. Like, everybody's going across to him, right? So, I've actually gone real... Uh, I feel a little bit dirty about it, but I shouldn't. Because he, he was a good player last year. I've actually got Gutherson there as my second one. And, you know, purely because... Gutherson went through periods where he averaged sort of 85, 90 points for, for a period, and their draw to start with is good. Um, I am going to get Pappenhausen at some point. I kind of just thought he's hopefully going to play that round 13 bye, and I just sort of thought I could bide my time until sort of five or six weeks in the season and then do a you know a gutho to, to Pappenhausen swap, getting ready for round 13 and kind of play the juggle on, the, on that second fullback spot. Yeah, fair enough. Just got one question for you. Um, what makes you think it's going to take a while for him to gel? And the reason I say that, I know they've got no Smith, but Smith, Smith, Smith is surely going to be missed with steering, steering the team around the park. Once the ball's out of the ruck, I don't see how that changes the gelling for the rest of the team with the ball movement. It's going to be exactly the same. Well, I mean, I think you're right. Like, and in a way, it shouldn't change hugely. But I can't say not changing a little bit, and I'll tell you why. I, I don't think that Bellamy can play exactly the same type of structure as what he had with Smith. Um, and I say that because Harry Grant's a phenomenal player, but he's quite a different player than what Cameron Smith is. You know, Harry Grant was a... He's very much a runner um, and more of a creator than um, than what Smith was, and I think that they would have had to have factored that in. Um, so I, I think that their style will actually be tinkered with a little bit and the, and the structure that they play with would be that little bit different. So it, it might not be a big deal, but like even if it's, you know, 10% off the pace or, or whatever, you know, it's something. Um, they've also got, you know, it's it's not a huge deal, but, you know, the other guys being out as well, you know, those middle forwards are going to mean that their middles 
quite weak to start with as well. So the foundation they're going to have to work off is going to be a lot less. Cameron Smith can get a lot more out of the middle forwards. You know, even if you've got plebs out there, Cameron Smith will make them better and get them doing their job. He's not going to be there. Brandon Smith isn't the type of hooker that's going to be able to do that. And all of a sudden, you've got no Tino as well. You've got no Finucane in the middle. And Brandon Smith's passing from hooker rather than being a running player. So their middle and their their foundation for their pack is all of a sudden not as anywhere near as good as what it was. And anyone will tell you that the, the good halves and playmakers are running off the back of the Ford's work. So... That and a little bit of structure change uh, probably, I think, could worry them slightly. Yeah, fair enough. I think uh, based off all your comments there, that probably hurts Munster more than anything else because he doesn't have as much room or time to move and probably nowhere near uh, up as far in the opposition to the 20-metre line. Um, I think Papenhuisen probably loses a bit based off that as well, but still gets a lot more opportunity with kick returns and moving himself around the park plus the plus the uh, goal kicking. So agree with what you're saying. I think it probably impacts a six more than the one, but you're probably right on all that counts. Yeah, and I agree with you there too. Like, I think the halves are going to struggle the most uh, because they're going to take the most workload on to try and make it work. But the byproduct of that is, you know, the halves are the guys that are going to give it to Pappenhausen a lot of the time in the red zone. So whether that Tell you what, him or not. We'll see if Hughes is worth a million bucks a year, that's for sure. We will, because he's going to have a lot of pressure on him, and so is Munster. But I mean, Pavenhausen's a, a, a great, a great pick from round one. I don't, I don't want to come across like I'm, I'm down on him as an option or anything. I think he's fantastic. If I could pick three of them, I'd, I would. Um, I'm just shot in the dark, going in a different direction at the moment. I'll probably end up not having the balls to do it and just put him in for Gutherson. But I'm going to repeat just to finish off on uh, Pappenhausen. You know, their first three games are the Rabbits, the Eels, and the Panthers. All those could be real grind-out type of games. Um, so for the first three weeks, anyway, I kind of feel like I can get ahead by not having him. Um, and when you compare it to, to who the you know the Eels are playing in that first sort of month or two, uh, I you know I sort of like my chances that I can get ahead of the pack and and not follow everyone on Pat. But I'll probably be wrong, Billy, and that's fine. <laughs> I still really like Pappenhausen. <laughs> yeah, he's. Look, I think the first game is going to be the hardest one there versus versus Souths. Um, as much as, as much as I like the Eels when they sort of step up, they do have some some really good defensive games. Yep. Um, against a team like the Storm, I'm more concerned with the fact that Apasic's Apacic, uh, Apacic, whatever you fix the names up for me, he's <laughs> he, 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 he's in there now instead of Jennings. You've got um, the edges and the halves switching sides. Second game in, maybe that make causes a bit of confusion or makes it a bit harder, and they, the Storm run up run over them. Um, and then you've got the, the Panthers, who, yeah, they did well last year, but 14 of their games versus bottom six ranked, six or seven ranked teams, they, they were still pretty much two losses or what, what one loss and draw versus the top ranked teams last year and, and still had the op- those opposition teams put plenty of points on them. So I can't see that, that Panthers game being, um, being tough at all. Oh, tough, being tough at all, I think it's a bit of, I think you're going to be on a limb there. It is at Panther Stadium. And against your guys, I do agree with you. You, you might not start well, but um, it is over at Bankwest at least anyway. So the Storm still have to travel for both of those. But yeah, look, Pappenhausen's still going to go well. Like I said, like I hope he has a bad start and averages 65. You know, like that's still going to be great. So he's a great option. Um, now he's got the goal kicking. He should be an absolute top elite level gun. But this next guy is also a top elite level gun, and that is Cameron Munster. So he comes in at 620,000. 
when you have a look at his consistency, that, that's always there's always been two things with Cameron Munster that has made him a good super coach option. He has a really good floor. He doesn't have, you know, 10s and 15s and 20s in his scores. And he also has a heap of really big games. The thing is, with 2020, only half of that kind of came true. Five out of his 15 games were below 60, so that was phenomenal. 10 out of 15, he was 60-plus, which is great when you consider that his lowest score was 39. Um, but the, the other side of it on having the big scores didn't really happen. You know, in the whole season, he only ended up with the one ton, and that was 105 points. Now, with his low scores, the big reason that he does that, Billy, is because Cameron Munster has a base of 31, but when you incorporate three tackle breaks a game and one offload per game... His floor is like 45, so he's just killing it when you include base-base attack. You know, he's got a mid-40s floor in him, um, which is what makes him really appealing as far as those low scores. You know you're not going to really get them. I'm uh, not sure what to make of Munster for round one. I had him in initially in my side, Billy, because I thought Munster was going to kick. When he wasn't kicking, I actually swapped him back out. Uh, And now I really don't have any interest at 620k to see how he's going to adjust to the extra pressure on his shoulders and with that draw like we mentioned with Pappenhausen. Like, I'm I'm much more comfortable having Pappenhausen on that draw than what I am Munster. Um, and, you know, I think Munster will be a, a, one of the top five eights again because, let's face it, there's only Cody Walker and him as the top sixes. But I've actually gone uh, another route and gone for the two cheap five eights at the moment. And I'm kind of liking what I can do elsewhere because I sort of think... You're either on Munster and Cody Walker, or you're going cheap there. Would you sort of agree with that sort of analysis that it's one of those two, or you're cheap? I basically just had to copy cross out every note that I wrote because you basically just plagiarised me for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly the same, mate. Um, yeah, you're right. I've, I've had Munster in since day one because of two reasons. Number one, I thought he was getting goal kicking, <clears throat> and, no, and number two, he's got such a high floor. I went back and can and uh, not only just compared, but I, but I did a filter of him and Cody Walker and filtered by score just to see the deviation as to how many were in the low bracket, mid bracket, and high bracket. And all I could see from that was Cody Walker had the four lower scores, but then Munster had four scores just above that. Then it was back and forth, back and forth. But then Munster just basically dominated that 70, 70, 70, 70 category with the, the 45 base that you were talking about. So... The, he also only had four tries for the whole year versus nine for Cody Walker. So the fact that he's 620 and Walker is, what, an extra 40, 50K more, I decided, look, I'm going to go for the guy that is going to average 70 with, with basically piss-poor output and just going to get it easy. I didn't want to rely on a guy like Cody Walker to score nine tries to produce exactly the same output. The only reason why I thought I might prefer Walker over the top is because He's looking so dangerous at the moment, particularly at the end of last year. He has the propensity to have that one massive game that you can VC and capitalise on early. But then I thought uh, price versus reward, you'd have to jack that one game and he has some low scores in him. And the fact that even if he did score massively early, uh, your base price, centre three quarter, or whoever you you have as your fourth or, fifth, or your fourth reserve might sort of offset that. So, I've decided for now, Munster in, out, Walker out. You will, I couldn't go against anyone for doing either, but at the same time, 
you, you could you could just go the Chibi route, mate. You just need to be careful that one of them doesn't get injured or Moylan doesn't punch 20s. That's the only concern. Yeah, I mean, if you're starting, like at the moment, my Chibi that I would be starting would be Connor Watson, assuming that he's starting 13. So you'd expect that you're going to get at least mid-50s sort of out of him if he's a starting 13. So I think that that's... It's a it's a really it's a really good but bad year in that there's a lot of those cheap mid guys where you don't have to spend and some of those cheap mid guys like like for example you know Tex Hoy at five eight you don't know what he's going to do for sure um, he is one of those guys that might give you one of those lower scores but I feel like that you, there's guys like Connor Watson there who you know that are going to score good even though they got the low price point like if he's starting he's going to score well so I think that there's a bit of safety in going cheaper than what there probably has been in previous years, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I tried that for days in, days out. Um, the, putting Watson in at six, I was really happy with. The problem the problem there was, had no had no Connor Watson at number nine. So all of a sudden you have to try and find a hooker to put in there and wasn't really comfortable with the cheapies in there and really didn't want to spend you know, money on Cook up there. So it was kind of if, if it was last year and Appy was available at his price, you'd 100% put him at Hawker, Connor Watson at six, and he'd be really happy with it. Basically, every, every minute his dog would do it. But the problem with, with Watson is he can only play one position. So I found myself struggling to find that one person that I really want to put in that mid-range or cheap position as my starter in the nine or six hole. And I think Tex Hoy kind of covers it, but you're right. Um, he only does sort of, you know, four or five games. So, and if he's injured or doesn't perform, then all of a sudden, if you're if, you, if you're finding yourself having to play Moylan, that's when you're in a wild pain. Yeah, Moylan's definitely a guy that you want to spot start, and he's my reserve five eight at the moment. Uh, look, Munster's a great option. Um, he always is. Six hundred and twenty k. You know, like if you're having a look at Cameron Munster's stats, you know, six hundred and twenty k isn't expensive for Cameron Munster. You could be paying a lot more for him at other times of the year. And, you know, he's he still ended up doing 70 points a game in 2020, which was actually his best season, you know. Only one point better than 2019, but it still ended up being his best season, despite the fact that he um didn't have the fluctuating huge scores that he's had in prior years as much. So, great option, uh, fantastic base. Probably one of the... Well, he probably will be the number one base, base attack, number six. Yeah, and I agree with that. And before, before we move on, just one more thing. <laughs> Try and think of things in threes or fours in this particular position. Um, even if Munster scores sort of seventies or, or, or mid seventies, it's not, yeah, it's great, but it doesn't mean it's going to push you right up the ladder because you're, you're only getting what you pay for. If you can find a five eight to punch is forty, no, forty five or only fifty that's priced to the thirty five, and the money you save and push elsewhere is giving you sort of seventy fives with undervalued forwards, you're still you're still ahead. The only reason Munster's going to kill you is if he scores you know, one hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty, which based off last year's figures, he's not going to do. By no means is he going to hurt your season if you don't have him. Yeah, yeah, really true, Billy. I agree with that 100%. So uh, Munster's a, definitely a good option. I think it's definitely Munster and Cody Walker take your pick out of the top sixes, and then if you're not going to do that, I kind of think they're going cheap, so the way to go myself. Uh, let's talk about the big balls pod. So obviously we could have talked about Harry Grant being a massive gun option, but it's just come out recently that he's going to be out. Looks like for the first, you know, five-odd weeks, something like that. So, you know, we can't obviously talk about Harry Grant, but we will talk about a couple of big balls pods that the uh, Melbourne Storm have got. And one of those is the guy that's going to be replacing him at number nine, and that's Brandon Smith. So Brandon Smith was already 
a bit of a smoky in that some people thought that maybe, like last year, he would end up starting at 13, and that was kind of rumoured, and then it looked like, I oh, know he'd probably be on the bench. Um, but very much like a, a lot of the time Brandon Smith's been coming through, everyone's kind of just been waiting for him to get his opportunity, whether that's starting 13 or starting 9, because he's always showed you know a really good PPM. He's always been around 1 or over PPM thereabouts, um, and he does that with really good base, but also some nice base attack as well. He comes in this season at 460-odd thousand, and he's a dual hooker second row forward as well. Um, so that makes it really, really handy for Brandon Smith. Average 55 points a game in 54 minutes last year. So I guess the only downside for Brandon Smith is that he still played reasonable minutes last year. Uh, so he isn't priced as low as what you probably would want him to be. But he is now going to end up being um, a hooker who, if he doesn't get 80, uh, I would think that he would spend some time in the middle potentially maybe. So, you know, he can play big minutes, it looks like, but he just doesn't get them because Cameron's been in his way. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe he'll play 60 minutes, but if he plays 60 minutes, um, yeah, it's only going to be about six points better. But if you break down his stats of when he has had bigger minute games, Billy, or when he has started, they actually do look really good for Brandon Smith, don't they? Yeah, they look a lot better, mate. He averaged 65 in 70 minutes. In 70-minute games that, that were over sort of five minutes listed in the hooker last year, so around 8, 13, 14, 15, and 20, and it wasn't exactly easy teams either. So we had um, Roosters, Dogs, Roosters, Para, and Dragons. So okay, so a bit, so a bit of a mix. But for that 65 average in 70 minutes at hooker last year, no tries, only two line break assists and two try assists. So that's basically added 40 points in attack over five games. So basically eight eight points. And his base PPM was 0.67. So if he's going to be throwing up sort of, you know, 65, sort of 70 minutes, I think he's got some uh, decent foundation there, um, particularly if he's going to get sort of, you know, four or five games before he goes back to middle rotation. Yeah, so I guess, like, on the eye test, he looks like he would be a really good option now that he's going to get a starting gig. The couple of question marks that I have on him is, is he going to get more than 60 minutes a game? Um, maybe he only gets 60, and then that's not going to be enough based on what he's priced at. And the second thing that you mentioned there, 0.67, when he's played those higher minutes, is well below you know, his career 1.1-ish PPM that he's had so far in his career. So you know, then the question is, well, if he's playing those bigger minutes, are they going to be that productive? Is he going to really that, score that much more? That was his base. That wasn't his total PPM. Oh, right, that was his base. Okay, sorry. Um, he averaged, averaged 65 in 70 minutes, so PPM would be like 0.9 or something or other. Okay, so he's still staying thereabouts, so that's good. So, I mean, he does look like a bit of a smoky uh, big balls pot option that probably isn't that big balls considering he's got a pretty good floor. Uh, I think probably at worst you're going to get what you pay for, really, at a minimum. And he's, yeah. If he's sub 500 and you're struggling for a hooker, uh, you, know, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, I, I just don't think he's one of those guys that's going to give you like a mass a massive ton. Um, the, the fact that there's you no know, cheap, a lot cheaper options available at hooker, and there's all, all your basically all your mid ranges um, are available at the second row. He's in one of those unfortunate positions where there's so many other other options around that you're probably just sort of leaving out. Yeah, and I guess the other thing that you'd be a bit scared about is you know if Harry Grant comes back say round five, then you're going to get a th- 
you know, round three and round four price rise, and that's going to be it. And he's going to be back on the bench, potentially. And then you're going to start to get price drops if that happens. So, and you'll be stuck in a position like me last year where you don't you don't want to start him, but then all of a sudden you got half a meal sitting on the bench, and then when he is named to start, you, you put him in, and then belly eight turns him from thirteen to bench again, or puts him in the hooker, and he gets twenty five minutes, and then you throw things at your TV and break it, and then he misses gets angry at you. That gets expensive. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> well, I mean, look the. If he does sign with somebody else, then maybe he just stays on the bench and they're not really um, committed to kind of playing him more than what they need to. Um, that's the other yeah. thing, I guess, as well. Look, I, I really like this other big balls pod, actually. Um, and he is he's a real genuine big balls pod because it, it would be big balls to go for him. But the guy that you mentioned, Hughes, has now got a big shiny new contract. And with that's going to come a lot of expectation. But you know, Hughes had a, a genuine gun season last year. Uh, Jerome Hughes ended up averaging 61 points a game in 2020. So he comes in at a 540k price tag, uh, and he is a halfback only, which is a bit annoying. I would have hoped that he was a dual, but we don't have that for him. This isn't the only time that Jerome Hughes has sort of sprinkled this bit of form, though. You know, he did only have four games in 2017, but across those four games in 2017, he did average 64 points a game. He looked very busy last season. I really like the look of him, especially in the back half. The eye test, he was getting... Some really good try assists. Um, and in fact, he actually had uh, about three tackle breaks a game as well, which was nice. Um, and only 0.75 try assists per game, but that still put him equal second uh, on the storm, only behind Cameron Smith, who was about one per. So, you know, on a team basis, his try assists were pretty good. Um, on an actual half pack basis, 0.75 was a bit below where you'd want him to be, but the second half of the season, he really kind of put it together where he's a lot more consistent with that. I guess when you look at him as a big balls pod billy, the couple of things that you could look at with Jerome Hughes is um, he's on the cheaper side at 540k. He's not in the huge elite category of pricing. He could build on 61 points a game, and you'd kind of think maybe he's going to pick up some of that Cameron Smith slack. And with Brandon Smith playing the type of game that he does at nine and Harry Grant not there for at least sort of the first you know five weeks out of the season... Uh, you'd think that somebody's got to get those one-per-game tri-assists that Cameron Smith was getting. Um, and it's probably going to be between um, Hughes and, and Cameron Munster kind of sharing those. Um, and Hughes has been paid now. He's got to be the man. So he's you'd expect him to kind of step up. Um, so I can't do it because he's 540k. I would have really liked to have seen him in, in the 400s because I think that might have made it pretty interesting. Yeah, a bit lower price. Yeah, I, I agree. Um I, I just can't do him purely purely because um, he basically scored one try every every two games for that last for the, for the end, end of the season. Just quickly looking now, so one, two, three, four, five, six. So the last eight games last year scored one, two, three, four, five tries, and that inflate. So I had to score five tries with line breaks and try assist to inflate him to a sixty nine average, and his price at sixty one. So. Basically, do you want to bank on him scoring every second game to give you an extra eight, extra eight points per game and what he's priced at with that kind of draw to start the game and three of those scores under 50 and basically no massive tons to make him worthwhile as a captain or a VC. It's a straight no for me. Yeah, he's um, he's worth talking about, especially with the big deal that he's just gotten in the interest. And I think he's, gotten a, he's become a lot better player. Like, he was naturally a, a fullback before, but he's learnt to be a half quite well the last 12 months. And he's, he's only 26, so he's kind of at the point where he's really hitting his prime. And I'd probably put him in a bit of the Mitchell Moses category where you could take a punt on him if he was 
in that tier if he had like Moses's draw and price point. You know, Moses is like 450k and has a plum draw to start with. I think that if Jerome Hughes was in that boat, he would be much more of an option. He's worth look. He's worth mentioning and going through, but you probably can't go near him for round one. The only value he has, and this is just something I've picked up from looking at his figures, is he doesn't discriminate versus the team he plays against. He will score absolutely pathetically versus bottom-ranked teams, and he will score well versus uh, higher-ranked teams. So when Scotty and um, Top Sport come out with their overs unders type of things, you probably get a bit of a bit of value with you know score uh, have, have, having a line bet on him over, over his sort of SC average versus top ranked teams because he'll likely he'll likely do that and you'll probably get like a lower a, uh, a lower margin for the overs. Yep. No, that's a good point as well. Um, so let's move on to the mistake in the storm, storm side that I don't think a lot of people are making, but you know it. It amazes me every year a little bit. I still come across teams in, in all the groups that occasionally have Josh Adokar thrown in there. Um, and I do think, like, it's it's a lot of sort of inexperienced super coaches that throw him in there. But he comes in at 475k, and I think a lot of people sort of see sub-500 and a, and a fly like Josh Adokar and think, oh, you know, it's, it's decent to throw him in there. He's going to score some tries. He, he ended up averaging 54 points a game in 2020, which was not gun status, but was actually the best that he's ever averaged. You know, he was 53, 51, and 52 the years before. So you know, he's not even getting close to it, even with a, um, a career-best 54 points per game. He, it's his last season with the Storm as well. It's a new attack. Look, it's, you may as well just cut and paste our discussion on Josh Adokar every preseason because it's pretty much the same. You know, you just can't pay that price for him. He's a streamer. You wait for the season at the right point where he's priced at 280000 because he's thrown up three seventeens in a row. Throw him in then for two hundred eighty k. Don't pay four hundred seventy five k for him round one. Please, nobody do it. <laughs> yeah, particularly with his jaw. The, the, only, the only thing you could possibly mention for people that are Storm fans or actually like him is that he is consistent with his, try, with his tries. He doesn't seem to go more than... Or very, very rarely, it doesn't seem to get more than one game without a try. Uh, he's got plenty of doubles. So one, two, three, four, five. He's got six, six games with, with no, one, five games with a double from last year. Um, so there's lots of value there. Um, doesn't have any massive scores, but his last two thirds of the season, he averaged 67 and he's priced at 54. So I did have a 137 in there. So, if he can continue his form from from end from end, end of last year, definitely undervalued. Um, do I want to pay that price to find out and have him maybe score an extra thirteen points a game? No. If you're a Storm fan and you want a pod, by all means, go for it. I reckon you've probably got a bit of value there, but it's not a lot. Yep. Let's just move straight along from from Josh Adokar. Let's have a look at the cheapies and mids. The first guy that's going to come up is Iremia. So Iremia's a rookie that's not played at all. Um, he was fullback, and now he's gotten centre wing eligibility. So he's also been rumoured to be, you know, a genuine shot at getting a spot in that back line. So if Iremia, um, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but I did try and I did check it out, so Iremia seems to be correct. But if he gets a spot as a rookie in that Storm back line, you know, that's just the type of cheapie you want to just plug in there. I think we're all waiting for, for TLT to give us a couple of these guys like Iremia, aren't we, Billy? I'm glad you pronounced it, not me. <laughs> yeah, I like everyone also waiting for a cheapie to turn up, mate. He's um, he's the type of guy that you want to get and not play. Just plug him there. 
hopefully, hopefully we get someone like that. Yeah, and I mean, moving on, this next guy is going to be a much harder choice if you want to put him in your team. Remus Smith has been getting a fair bit of traction. Um, I could kind of understand why, but then some of me sort of said, no, I don't. Um, so, you know, he's... I guess the argument for Remus Smith is he is going into a much better storm system. In the past, he has shown some flashes where he's had a lot of speed and, and been able to do some really good things. I'll never forget, probably his second year with the Dogs, he had like a 90-metre try where he beat 10 different people and, and ran 90 metres and showed a huge amount of speed and scored, and it was a fantastic solo try. And I just sort of thought, geez, this kid has some talent. But he hasn't really come along since then. So, I mean, the last two years, he's played 14 and 23 games, and he's averaged bang on 37 points per game each of the last two years. You know, in 2018, he did average 52, but he only had 11 game sample size then, and he had quite a few tries. So, coming in at 324k, only two of his 14 games in 2020 were 60 plus. And a lot of those were centre as well, and he still only had 26 base, you know, and, and scored like four tries for a guy that's a noted try scorer. Four out of 14 games isn't fantastic, even if he's in the dog side. So 320k to me is, you know, 100k overpriced for me getting excited about Remus Smith, but he is a mid-ranger, and he is someone that is in a lot of teams just based on the Storm's ability to get some of these guys to play better. Um, I don't see Remus Smith giving us an extra 12 or 13 points a game. And, you know, that's kind of where he needs to be for me to get the interest to, to put out that money round one in centre wing. Yeah, I agree. The thing you've got to remember too, like, you might think, okay, look, a, a bloke at 330 grand, like, he, he's pretty cheap. Even a, even a bloke that's 173 grand is pretty cheap. But you've got, you got to remember, um, 270,000 is basically an average of, of 26. So even if a guy is cheap like the Saabs and Simmonsons, those guys are priced at around 20. Those are the guys who are only going to average 30, 35, in my opinion. They're going to have to go on absolute, absolute tear to increase in value quickly. So for me, a bloke like him is in the same bucket as Saab and Simmonson. As far as I'm concerned, they're a waste of sort of 30, 40, 50 grand. I'd much rather enough eat than people like that. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think if there is a, uh, enough cheapies, or if there isn't any cheapies for centre wing come round one, you'd certainly be choosing. You know, I mean, a lorry's immoral, um, but certainly I'd choose a Saab over paying an extra hundred grand for a Remus Smith and, and those sort of guys. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Look, Dane, Dane Laurie's a lock. Tessie Newey's a lock. For me, I think you can probably have one one nuff, one nuffy in there. Go, yep. go Suwali, Suwali or something like that for your for your, for your loops. So, so, so there's three. Lots of people will have one or one or two half decent guys in there. That's four or five. So basically, what you're doing is picking one, maybe two positions at the absolute most for other cheapies. So, it's basically choosing choosing between, um, yeah, like the the Saab, the Saab with your 300k guys. And if you had to choose between the two, 100%, you'd go the cheapest guy and just leave it leave it there to rot. Hope Saab gets something jag, something manly. Yeah, and look, the smart thing to do with Remus Smith, if you really, really like him, just watch him the first few rounds because they've got those three tough games to start with. And he could start off, you know, not scoring but look really good, and that's not going to make him any money. But maybe, you know, round three, 
he jags a big score. Maybe he scores 100 points and he gets a double and you think he looks really good. He's not going to make any money really that next round. You know, maybe if he gets one big score, he might make 20 grand or something. So jump on him then because you're then going to be able to play him against some easier opposition from round four onwards. You know, you don't want to... You're not going to start with Remus Smith at 320k and not play him in your centre wing, I don't think. So just avoid the first three games because they're hard. See what he looks like. And if he's going to go up at any point in round four or five or whatever, plug him in then. It's a, it's a much better way to look at it. Yeah. The, you, you, you've got to remember, too, it doesn't have to be a game with absolute guns and, and bottom absolute bottom dollar cheapies because if you do that route, you've got to keep the guns pretty much unless they get injured. And the cheapies, you basically got to keep until they peak, which is, what, seven, eight, nine rounds. So if you have a couple of mid-rangers in there, the, one, the ones that go well, yeah, you keep the guy. The ones that don't, you basically got ca- some equity in, in them that you can cash out and upgrade other, other, others to very, very quickly. Or they, they, they peak in price a lot quicker because they're already halfway. They're already at the halfway point. So there's a lot there's a, there's a lot of value in trying to find some guys that are just unders and sort of riding them for a few weeks. And if it doesn't work, then by, by all means, cash out to a guy like that in round three or round four when he has that big negative break even like you just said. Yep, and these next couple of guys I'm much more excited about as far as cheaps and mids to finish off on the Storm. Uh, so Welsh has been very popular. I'm going to go out and say it and be completely honest, I wasn't that excited by Welsh, not as much as other people were. Um, but now that they, now that Fanuka's injured and Welsh just started at 13 in a trial match, you know, if he starts at 13, it's it's a big win for him. Um, even if he doesn't start at 13, he's probably going to get extra minutes because of that middle rotation now. So he comes in at 453k, Billy. Um, now, he had a 45 base in 2020, but one of the things that he really came along with was his offloads, which I think is what makes him a bit more interesting than the meat and potatoes type of guy that he looked like a few years ago. He averaged almost one offload per game, and he actually led the storm in total offloads. So that's really interesting because Fanukin's out until probably round seven. If Welsh gets that 13 jumper, um, I'm now very interested and think that I'm going to have to find room to start him in front row because at 450-odd K, you know, he averaged 51 points in 43 minutes a game last year. Um, you would expect that that 43 minutes goes up to at least 55 if he's starting at 13. If not, he could jag 60 even. Yeah, but if he jags 55, he's probably 12 points under. He's going to get into gun territory at 60s. It's a bit of a no-brainer, but... I mean, one, do you think that he's going to jag 13, do you reckon? Or do you think that if he doesn't, he's still going to get those extra minutes because Fanuka's out? Yeah, look, if you if you go back three months, yes, that's sick. That's what I've started. Um, mate, I had the um, I had Gilbert in there. I was excited about him. And then I had Holler in there. And then I had, uh, what do you call it, bloke from Broncos in there, Lodge in there. Until seven days ago, I hadn't even looked at Welsh. I had absolutely zero interest, purely because of the rotation. What Perso said, he was always always playing high minutes last year when people were out injured. Yeah. But two two things picked my interest. Number one, the fact that he was named the 13 last week um, as a possibility for more minutes, and then and then number two, what you just said there, uh, the, the fact that uh, Finnegan is now out. And also the fact that uh, Grant is now out, I mean, cheese goes to hooker. The first thing I did a couple of days ago was, all right, so what is his true value? So his last seven or eight games last year when he played high minutes, he averaged 
64 off. So all his games over 50 minutes last year, he averaged 64 off 55 minutes. Looking at every single game that the number 13 player that the Storm played last year, so I excluded uh, round one and round two, so pre-coded, excluded the last game of the season when they had all their players out and that rookie Brady played half a game. And I also excluded a couple of games that Nass played there because he's just a monster and only plays, you know, 35, 40 minutes. Average minutes per game for all the starting 13s for the rest of the season was 59.6 minutes. So that's what you can expect the Storm starting uh, lock to play I would, based on last year's numbers. The fact that this bloke scored 64 of 55 minutes last year, I'd be quite happy to take him in the front, in that second front row four position if he's starting lock. Yeah, you'd think that he's going to score, you know, at worst probably 60 in that scenario, 60 points in 60 minutes, and that's going to have nine points unders. And that's, and that's, that's all base. Those all base too. No, 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 no tries, no assists, no nothing. That's just all base and offloads. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, his offloads was the big thing that really helped him out. Like I said, getting getting one offload a game was really key for him. Um, so I yeah. really think that 450k, if he's starting, he's a no-brainer. Um, but I'm going to throw it to you that what if that 13 jersey goes to Big Tui? Now, Tui is the last guy on our list here for cheaps and mids, and really it's, it's Tui if he gets a 13 jersey. And Welsh, like, becomes... A really good option if he's got the 13 jersey, but whoever doesn't, it's it's a much higher question mark on them. So Big Tui comes in at uh, 340k. 2020 saw him average 43 points per game in only 37 minutes a game. So you can automatically see the type of interest there. Now, you know, Billy, if he gets that 60-odd minutes, that extra 22 minutes a game as a starting lock that he could get, he's at 1 ppm. You know, he's looking at a huge score. I mean, he's looking at mid-60s, probably. And he's a, a bit of a guy that's come through late. You know, he's he's 26 as well, but he hasn't really had that many career games. Really, 2019, he had the 18 games, and 2020, he only had the five. But even if you have a look at what he was doing in 2019, when he had a big sample size of 18 games, he was still scoring 32 points a game in only 29 minutes. So his PPM above one seems pretty solid. And he does look like a bit of a... Like, he does pass the eye test for me. I think that he does look quite good. So if he's starting 13, 340k, that's that's well cheap enough just to say throw him in, I reckon. Um, so I really quite like him. We did have a sample size of... Two two-y two games where he went an average of 46 minutes, which was higher when he was starting these two games. And he scored 63 average across those two games starting. That included one line break and try. But, you know, Billy, I reckon if he's... The, the thing that I got excited about immediately about Fanukin being injured for Supercoach, the first person I thought about was Tui. I didn't actually think about Welsh. Because Tui, at his price point, I think is pretty tantalising. Uh, mate, you're a conversation killer, man. <laughs> Jenna <Ray>. I, um <laughs> We just finished talking about seven-minute abs, and you've now come out with six-minute abs. Like, go away. <laughs> I don't mean to keep one up in you, mate. Sorry. <laughs> I and honestly, I hadn't even thought about that, mate. I'm like, it's not going to happen. What are you talking about? Go away. <laughs> go away. <laughs> yeah, look... 
if he gets 13 based on the figures and the PBM and everything you just pointed out then, then yeah, obviously he's a, he's an absolute you know, front row forward option. Um, bit cheaper, which is great. I think I'd probably have less nerves going Welsh, but uh, going him, you get to spread the coin a lot more. Every 20, every 20 grand you save in the centre three quarter and every 100 grand you save it. So the second, second row is a massive difference with, with spreading it. So it would certainly, certainly allow you to spread. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that the the really great thing with Tui is that he only yeah, he's only got a thirty seven minute game average that he comes in at as his price point. Um, you know, like he can improve on that thirty seven minutes yeah. a game really easily. Yeah, the flip side there is that look, when um when when the other blokes come back, Ross just goes back to front row and still averages you know sixty or fifty one minutes, so he's probably the, the more secure option. But the 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 hundred hundred fifty k the hundred k premium. Yeah, and look. I mean, the other question, which I don't think that you can answer enough to, to go round one, is if for some reason Welsh or Tui ends up on the bench, do they still get enough extra minutes? Because, you know, again, Tui especially, 37 minutes a game, he could easily be a bench forward that averages, you know, 45 minutes a game. Is that an extra nine points for him um, with his PPM? You know, because he could do that from the bench. I don't think you can do that round one. I think you have to sort of see... But it will be interesting because he is someone because of their, they're going to have like a Nico Hines on the bench, and obviously with their middles out, like we said, you know, it's it's interesting because he could end up picking up enough value anyway, just being a bench player. Yeah, I'm just trying to look at his. Uh, so, 43 average is pretty tough, but that, that's where he's at. So if he's come if he's coming off the bench, he's really going to have to have some decent PPM, and most guys off the bench are going to get sort of 35 to foot. They're going to get less than the starters, so it's only going to be sort of max forty minutes anyway. And if he's only around the one the one point one mark, he's really going to have to have some line breaks and tries in there. And I don't think he can stretch far enough. If he's off the bench, I'd hundred percent leave him. Um, if he's starting, uh, yeah, think you like your stars that you know sort of fit Kings out for sort of you know five or six weeks because it probably makes it makes it enough to be worth it. I mean, I feel for Finney, but from a uh, SC point of view only, and then being selfish, then it makes him worthwhile. Yep. Let's move on to the Sharkies. So, you know, we talk about the Storm dropping off and still probably being a top four side. The poor, poor Sharks. Uh, my local team doesn't look as good at all. I've had some Sharks fans kind of have a subtle go at me, Billy, because I'm very, very down on the Sharkies. So... I'll tell you why, you know, with their losses. Your porch, your porch lights back on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, mate, it's, honestly, when I look at this roster um, and what they're doing with it, I can't see them not contending for bottom four and potentially even wooden spoon, I've said to some people. Yeah, it's it might sound harsh, but they've got not huge losses in Bakuya, Cameron King and Scott Sorensen, you know, but the fact that, uh, they're going to have Sean Johnson out until at least round 12, if not later, coming back from an Achilles injury. That just kills them because he was their whole attack last year. And as far as their gains go, like all they really got was Aiden Tolman to play off the bench, which he'll be solid, but it's not really going to help them a great deal. So having that spine that they're going to trot out with of potentially Townsend, Moylan and Kennedy at fullback, uh, you know, like it's they're going to have a really bad spine. And if Moylan gets injured, then all of a sudden you're looking at Townsend, Tracy, and Kennedy at fullback. 
I just don't see it. Um, and one of the things that the losses doesn't actually show is that they've had an aging roster for quite some time and they're tied up with guys like Andrew Fafita on big coin that just can't really play big minutes anymore and are getting worse by the year. So, I mean, as bad as Andrew Fafita was at times last year, he's probably still going to be worse this year, potentially. Dugan looked worse last year, I thought, as well. Um, and they've got some of these other guys as well that just aren't going... Like, Woods is another one. You know, Woods is older now, and he looks worse by the year, too. I just... I think roster-wise, when you have a look at what they're going to trot out the first half of the season and what they've done on the market for players... I can't see them not being bottom four, mate. Yeah, I agree. Trials for people like Dugan's Hammies, mate, just to see if people are going to survive half the season. Um, I, for feeders, for feeders, uh, he looks fitter, but I don't think he's going to last long. I think, I think more than probably last three or four games before he gets injured again, then all of a sudden their halves are in trouble. They've got the two starters down. Um, Kennedy's not a bad fullback, but not when you don't have a forward pack or anyone, anyone sort of playoff. Doom will go down. It just, they got just age and injuries all over the park, mate. And, and the best guys coming through are just kind of plotters in the middle, like, yeah, you, what do you call it? The, um, Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph. The, the only interesting thing in that pack, in that pack for me is Talak guy, and he's injured and, Every man his dog will be on him when he comes back straight in the centre quarter. That's the only real value I see there, mate. Yeah, I mean, let's have a quick look at their draw because, I mean, even a bad team can can open up to be a decent team for Supercoach a little bit if they hit a plum draw. One of the things with the Sharkies is when you check out their draw, um, it's it's not fantastic at all. You know, you, you start off with the Dragons, which isn't terrible. Yeah, that's it. Especially if they've got the Charity Shield Dragons, you know, that's a that's a really good matchup round one. But then they hit Canberra, and then they hit a Bank West Parramatta Eels, and then they hit a, a better game against the Cowboys. But then they hit the Roosters, and then they have to travel to Newcastle to play the Knights when Caelan Pong is due back as well. Easier game against the Dogs, and then they hit the Storm, Penrith, Souths three weeks in a row. They don't even play round 13. You know, 11 and 12 is a bit easier with the Dragons and the Titans, but it's it's not an easy draw for the Sharks. You know, I could see, by the time we get to that first bye, I could see the Shark season being over already. Um, and that's the worry with SJ as well. You know, like, if they get to, to round 13 and they've won three games, um, would you be rushing Sean Johnson back into your team? I don't think you would. I wouldn't be rushing him back in, into my super coach team. I sure as hell would be rushing him back into my normal team. Um, well, they might give be, up on them, though. That's what I mean. Like, the Sharks might say, well, the season's done. We're not even going to bring Sean Johnson back. And, you know. Oh, sure. sure they're, they're not, they're not going to... Mate, they've still got sponsors and sort of fans to sort of appease. They're not going to wrap him in cotton wool for the whole season and say, don't worry about it. But what they would do, surely, is, you know, Wade please, absolutely 100%, then probably bring him off the bench for, you know, the first game and then not so much putting him in a cotton wool but just telling him to sort of take it easy play out play out the season I don't, I don't know is it his is, is, is this his last season there? No contract he's not, wise or? No he's not off contract yet although I will say that the interesting thing with their contracts is that they do have Josh oh no he is off contract sorry so yeah so they do have Sean Johnson off contract Josh Dugan in his last year as well Matt Moylan in his last year as well Talakai sure, but... in his last season as well um yeah, Aaron Woods is sure. actually in his last season too. So they got a lot of guys in their last season. 
surely, surely Moylan, Dugan and um, Woods are done. They retain Talakai and then look to reinvest that coin somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I just say it more of a, does that make them play a little bit better, I guess, um, with so many guys in that side needing a new contract and playing for their future. But look, let's talk about Talakai straight up because when it comes to the Sharkies, they don't really have many guns, but you do have a few rising guns and the, the biggest one is definitely Talakai. Now, you know, the word was that he's going to be out the first couple of rounds, but the latest time frames and an NRL physio actually had this as well just earlier today. It had between round one and three. So they seem to think that there's a chance that Talakai could come back. So we're going to talk about him. Obviously, we'll know on Tuesday. You know, if he's not there on Tuesday, you can't put him in your side. But if he happens to be there on Tuesday, he is 100% the best Sharkies option. He's going to come in um, reasonably expensive, but he's going to be worth every cent of that. You know, he's a dual center wing second rower. Like Billy said, you're just going to plug Talakai straight into your center wing and be happy because for 485k... Um, he's going to give you a great base. He was averaging 55 points a game in 59 minutes a game last year. Um, he's certainly got the ability to, to end up on an edge playing 80 minutes. That could happen. But he actually averaged, if you have a look at his 60-plus forward minutes, Billy, when Talakai had eight appearances as a 60-plus minute forward for the Sharkies last year, he averaged 73 points a game. Now, he did that with a pretty shitty base of 39 when you have a look at his base for the year. But he had 2.5 TBs a game, um, four tries and two try assists in 16 appearances, which is very achievable again. And he was just phenomenal to watch. I think that you're the same as me. If he's named round one, you'd be all over him, wouldn't you? Oh, 100%. But even coming back from injury, he's just one of those guys where there's too much upside to him not to take the punt. Um, he, he, he kind of reminds me of just a maybe an, an angrier version of Nathan Brown that's available at centre three-quarter and a little bit faster, less injury prone. Well, he used to be a centre, believe it or not. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. When, when he came uh, into scary. grade, he was a centre and they started playing Jesus. forwards. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a great option. Um, if his name around mine, he's a no-brainer. I think that he's the best Sharks player that you could have in your side this year. Um, and when he does get healthy... You'd, you'd give him a couple games just to look at, and then you just get him straight in, like round five, Honest, six, whatever. If he was healthy round one, he's the type of bloke that would just make the Supercoach less interesting because all of a sudden, everyone would be less uh, a Lomax or a Holmes or whoever their sort of pilot center three quarter is, and he would be the guy in there. The bloke, the 60 base, or sorry, not a 60 base, but, but the second rower, the only second rower this year available at center three quarter, undervalued, basically last year's year. Yeah, for sure. Um, this next guy had a really good season too, Katoa. I, I really liked Katoa to come into last year and at times as well. I actually bought him for a run and it was really nice. Um, average 59 points a game, so it was just short of being a, an out-and-out gun. But he did that by averaging 15 tries. in. Uh, he, he scored 15 tries in 19 games, led the Sharks in tackle breaks with almost four per game, which is huge, and had one offload per game as well. So that meant that his base, base attack was right up there in sort of the mid-40s which sounds great. Um, one of the problems that he had, though, was that his consistency wasn't quite there. He's still pretty young, um, but it meant that he had some games where you know he had like four offloads, eight tackle breaks. Um, certainly the first um, half of the year he was doing that, and the second half of the year he had games where he was like no offload and, and one tackle break and stuff where he really dropped off, and he was scoring a try and just sort of getting 60 points and stuff like that. So uh, I really like him. Um, I think that if he was in another side... You know, if he was playing for 
the Roosters, the Raiders, the Storm, Panthers. Like, I think that he would be a top buy. But playing for the Sharks, not being able to see where they can score from. Um, he still scored 15 tries last year in 19 games. He'll still score tries, but I think they'll probably be less available this year. But I'm... I'm going to have my eye on him, Billy, because I've got a bit of a soft spot for Katoa, and if he improves and manages to put it all together, it, he could be a bit of a gun of the future. Yeah, down the track, not right now. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Wolford still got nightmares from last year, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he went on a <laughs> terrible run when Wolford had him. Poor Wolf. Oh, it was, it, look, it, it was an astute pick. The bloke just went on one of those anomaly runs, and I think Wolford was pull, pulling his hair out the poor bloke, but... Um, if you manage to pick the right run, then yeah, he's 100%. I'm not going to, no way could you be, could you start with him, but he's one of those bikes that, like you said, he has the Rapana type tackle bus offloads of running and scoring ability that if he ends up dropping in enough coin or even just gets the right run coming up, you, you just, you punch him in as a pod and then eject as quick as you can. Yeah, problem is he comes in priced at 59.2, so he's not exactly cheap, but, um, the last guy on this, um, rising gun list is, uh, a fair bit cheaper, um, and that's Toby Rudolph, who you mentioned earlier. Now, he is a bit of a bright spot for the Sharkies. He played really well, especially the back half of last year. He comes in at 430k um, as a dual second-row front-row forward, which is quite handy. He did already average 46 minutes a game last year for a 49th score. When you do have a look at his final 12 games, he actually averaged 50 minutes a game and just over 53 points a game. It's probably only four to five points upside, but there is a chance that he gets more than 50 minutes, especially when you look at that aging Sharkies pack. Um, and, you know, Rudolph's coming into his final year as well. He's going to want um, a big contract upgrade too. So, you know, if that 50 minutes a game that equated to 53-ish points ends up being sort of, you know, 55 minutes that equates to sort of 59 sort of points, you know, that is foreseeable. Uh, and that's a point where, Someone like Toby Rudolph kind of comes under the radar as someone that's almost at gun status and 10 points underpriced and really cheap as one of the few heavier minutes, second row, front row forward duels that you could plug into front row forward as well. Yeah, I used to love watching him play last year. Like what, what, when, he, when he had the ball, he just straight up the middle. Um, I started with him and it was really frustrating because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think... He was named on the bench to start with and then was, might have been switched to, into the starting team late in the round. I think a few people might have been annoyed that, you know, all of a sudden they had a cheap, a cheap starter was named. So I was pretty excited about that. But then all of a sudden he went to play a string of sort of 40 minutes, even named as a starter or was named as a starter and ended up going to the bench every week, which was really frustrating. You never knew what he was going to get minutes and didn't really end up getting minutes either way. So, um, for that reason, I'm going to stay away from him. But I think I think he's one of the futures of the Sharks. I think he's just more of a more of an aggressive Aiden Tolman. Tolman just does the runs, does the tackles, looks dangerous, but just doesn't seem to get through the line much. Yeah, I mean, look, if if he nails down a consistent role, and certainly the 55 to 60 minute role as a 13 could could happen for him, um, then he sort of becomes a little bit of an option. It's just just a shame, like you said, Billy, that he did start a heap of games as well. So he's at yeah. a well, price point that's a little bit awkward. He did he, he did uh, renege on that contract to come back to the Sharks. So he, he must have been either promised um, some decent minutes or starting or some, some sort of future there. So sure, surely his role this year is a, is, is a bit bigger than last year. 
Yeah, I think so. I couldn't do it from round one, but he's certainly on the watch list and worth talking about. Could be unders. Uh, I think in another year, I'll finish off by saying if it was a couple of years ago, I think it was, there was nothing in front row forward that was kind of mid-priced. You'd have a guy like Rudolph maybe there. This year when there's so many guys like, you know, the Leotas, the Lodgers and all these other guys that are, that are cheap, um, that might be a starter. I, I don't think it's a year that you could go with Toby Rudolph, but this next guy is a big balls pod for the Sharkies. And look, he is very much a hand grenade prod because he's one of those guys who is much better in real life than he is in um, Supercoach. And it's always been the case. Um, and he is a guy that's played 18 games in 2020, which was good for him because he is before he played 9 and 17 games out of 25, 26 round seasons. Not too good. And that's Wade Graham. So I'm not recommending Wade Graham. I'll say it off the bat. I'm not saying he's a great buy, but he is certainly a big balls one that comes in after averaging only 53 points a game in 2020, which was, you know, four points worse than his 2019 and seven points worse than what he did in 2017 when he was an actual gun averaging 60. Um, he has been bad before, but he's also been much better than what he was in 2020 before as well. He's certainly a runs type of player. With Graham, he's going to come in healthy, which I think is a big deal. He's only going to be 466000 his base is horrendous. He only had a 36 base last year. But I guess some of the bad things about Wade Graham's season, Billy, might be cause for optimism because he only ended up having three tries in 19 appearances. That's really low for Wade Graham. And they're not going to have Sean Johnson. And Sean Johnson led them in tries and was right up there. Like, I think he had a ridiculous amount of tries. Um, so somebody's got to do those. I don't think Townsend's very good at doing those. So I doubt it'll be him. Maybe it's somebody like uh, Wade Graham that takes on some of that workload and gets them. Um, I mean, he is very much an attacking player. He only had 0.5 offloads per game as well. He's been better than that before. So I'm not, I couldn't endorse getting Wade Graham, but as far as big balls pods go, he is someone that could easily go on a four or five week run. He's one of the few options that are sort of below 500k that has been a 60-plus player in the past when you're looking at your second row forwards. So, you know, as far as the Sharkies go, he's one of their better players. It's just that their players really ought to hold. There's not many of them that are decent for Supercoach this year. Yeah, he's just only had sort of one one score over sort of 67, but which is kind of the acceptable range when you... Or the, the range you get excited about. So, really, <laughs> really a struggle to get excited. I think... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, just going back to 2019, was it the year before last or the one before that? that might have been an origin, uh, might have been an origin round or something or other where he just cleaned up and scored like 120 or 130 yeah. or something or other. He made like 150 grand in two weeks or 200 grand in two weeks or something ridiculous. Yeah, he just had a couple of big scores. 144, I think it was or something. Yeah, so just looking at 2019, not much better, mate. Average sort of 58 in sort of seven to seven games. A couple of 90s in there, nothing great. The problem there is that there were two really, really low ones, sort of a 38 and a 19. So a bit too much inconsistency for him and, and, no, and no, not really a high floor. So probably a leave at all costs. Yeah, I don't think you can do it. I mean, I was sort of... Um... Off the top of my head, like I, I thought it felt like Wade Graham played less games last year. And I was kind of thinking before I had a look at him that he would be sort of 400k or maybe even just sub 400. And I was kind of a bit interested at that point because I do think that he'll take on some more of the playmaking. Um, he's going to get more forced dropouts and certainly more than three tries for the season. But at his price point, he's, he's 
way too big a balls pod to to go near, I think. But um, he can have the odd game where he goes well. Um, and I think he's going to have a bit of a point to prove this year. As far as mistakes go, I reckon they've got a couple in this side. But, you know, Ramian's the first one that comes to mind because I remember the last two years in a row now, um, not this year, but the two years before, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, Ramian's going to be a great buy. He's going to have a big season and stuff. And he just every year, you know, you could almost do the same same as what we said with Josh Adokar, you can cut and paste what we said about Ramian for a couple of years again. You know, I haven't seen... <laughs> it's the same with it. It's the same every year. And, like, I haven't seen as many people talking him up. But, you know, he he made that line break in the All-Stars game. And I've got a few Sharks fans that are family members. It was funny. We had a family dinner. And they were like, oh, you see how good Ramian looked? He just broke that line clear, you know. He's going to be attacking way better. And I was like, oh, yeah, but he, he dropped the ball when he had to pass it. And I'm like, oh, no, no, the mistake was forced. It got knocked out of his hands. And I was like, oh, you know, there's still those Shark supporters that still believe in Jesse Ramian. Uh, I, I, the last three years of Jesse Ramian have been 46 points, 45 points, and 53 points. You know, he's, he's 27-8-74 average. Someone will look at that and go, wow, that was huge. It was only one game. So just don't even look at that. He's always been a 40s to low 50s type of guy. When you have a look, Billy, at Ramian's numbers, you go, well, shit, the guy averaged two tackle breaks and one offload a game. He was third on the Sharks' try-scoring list in his 19 appearances, and he still only managed 46 points a game doing that. You know, his numbers actually were quite good. It was just that he's just shit. Like, I only had, what, eight from his 18 games were under 40. You know, he was just not any good. Um, he comes in at just over 400k, so a few people might get sucked in. Do not get sucked in. Leave Jesse Raymond alone. Do not go near him as far as I'm concerned. Billy, tell me that you agree, please. I don't have anything to add, mate. I haven't even bothered looking at him. <laughs> I remember those stats. He's absolutely disgraceful. Just don't even bother. Oh, I'm surprised that he's only 23, actually. I kind of feel like he's sort of 26 or 27. So, I mean... To be fair, he is still young, so Jesse could get better and could improve, but you're not going to bank that's going to happen round one, guys. Just don't do it. Another guy that's definitely not 23 is Andrew Fafita. So I'm, I don't want to be nasty to Andrew Fafita, and I don't mean to sound it, but he was quite overweight last year. It's great that he's lost weight this year, but I think that with his injuries that he's had, he's still overweight enough that it's going to just put too much pressure on his knees and ankles and his fitness level just he's not going to be a guy that can play 50 minutes again um you know he was playing 49 minutes in 2019 57 minutes in 2018 56 minutes in 2017 he was all the way down to 34 minutes in 2020 that's where he's going to be i i do not see how guys are looking at an all-star game looking at how much he dominated saying oh look he's back he you know he's a bit of a pod because he's only 400,000, he's he's going to be hard-pressed even dropping that weight to play 40 minutes a game. And even 40 minutes a game, he's going to be six more minutes than what he was playing before. He's, he's 45 points a game last year is probably generous. You know, 11 yeah. appearances as well. He was out all the time. I, I just think it's a massive mistake to get Andrew Fafita, but I feel like that Billy TLT will probably save people because he's going to be named on the bench anyway. Yeah, people are still trying going, thinking uh, he'll come off the bench and score, you know, 1.8 TPM and make a bit of coin. But Sharkies are just trying to knock the last of last of uh, what's available out of his knees, mate. He's on, on big coin. They're not going to they're not going to leave, leave us in reserve, and do nothing. 
they're just going to bring you off the bench. Hopefully he makes punch a couple lines, lines, gets an offload away and does something, particularly with the lack of attacking power they got with Johnson out, Moylan's hammies in, you know, half, half in retirement. They, they just need something. So I reckon they're just hoping for a little bit out of him off the bench, just squeeze the last life out of him and then you probably won't ever see him again. Yeah, and to be fair for Fafita, like a, a bench, you know, shock weapon for 40 minutes a game, he, he could fill that role really well um, if he could make sure that he gets through a season. I mean, the other thing to think about as well, last year was only a 20-round season and he managed 11 of them. You know, this this is a full full season. It's not a reduced season. So it's going to be a long year. They're not going to be able to burn him for 45, 50 minutes a game even because he's got to get through yeah. the season for him. And when you have a look at that middle rotation, Billy, Aside from Fafita, they've got Hamlin Ueli, they've got Aaron Woods, they've got Toby Rudolph, and they've also now bought Aidan Tolman as well. So they don't need to be playing him 50 minutes. Yeah, they don't, they don't need it at all. But um, mate, mate, when he's on song, he's the type of guy who can do two, two offloads per hit-up. He just... <laughs> <laughs> he just, That's going to be on a meme soon. Two offloads per hit-up. That's a good one. Yeah, mate. He just he just gets an arm way and just wants to throw it everywhere. But um, yeah, look, you, you you're going to want him to do the do his old school 1.4 ppm because even if he gets you know, 40 minutes max, you're going to have to be absolutely carting the ball up and throwing it everywhere just to get you sort of you know 55 points. Um, I don't see him as value any, anywhere at all apart from making a little bit of coin, but it's it's probably more dead money than sort of coin making money. No, he's gone as an option. I'm, I'm going to finish on some light reading for Andrew Fafita. I'll read around a bedtime story for to put him to bed. 2017 downwards, his game scored percentage-wise over 60. 2017, 64% of his game 60 plus. 2018, 52%. 2019, 40% of game 60 plus. So he's seeing a pattern. 2020, 9% of his games were 60 plus. Just stay away. We're going to finish on that note. Cheapies and mids for the Sharkies, though. This is where the Sharks have got a lot of value. Their halves uh, are both quite interesting. Now, Moylan is someone who's very um, highly spoken about at the moment uh, as a good cheapie. A lot of people have him in their side. Townsend, not so much. Now, I'm not a Tad Townsend fan, but to give him a bit of credit, he's coming in at 350k. He's never been a phenomenal super coach option. He's coming off a 40-point per game season. Um, only had 11 games himself, um, but the year before he had 51 points a game, 47 and 40 in 2017. So we have seen the 40 points a game before. He did that in 24 matches in 2017. So we could see it again. The big thing with Townsend is it's confirmed that he's actually going to have the goal kicking at the moment. So you can maybe add some points on there. If the Sharks aren't scoring that much, you know, maybe he's only sort of six, seven, eight points better um, on his average, but it's still pretty decent. I, I, I've i always lamented that Chad Townsend's a fantastic bloke. He's well-loved in the Shire, Billy. Um, he played locally as well. He, he, he's a great bloke. Um, he's a solid player, but I think the Sharkies fans always often think he's a lot better than what he is. Unfortunately, they're going to have to lean on him this year, and I don't think that's going to be great. Um, but to be fair, you know, he should be getting 50s with goal-kicking, coming off one of his lower um, season averages of 40, price at 350k as a halfback. Uh, he could legitimately be someone's second half back, and you know, at least he's a goal kicking one at 350k. Yeah, look, you can make some coin. Um, particularly, the one thing, you, one thing you have to remember is it, 
SJ is gone. So he, he's going to take up the reins there at, at the goal kicking. 50 average last year in the games where he played sort of uh, full games. Uh, I took the COVID ones out, but geez, they were pretty poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, look, it's better reading with them out, with them out of it. Isn't it? <laughs> put, 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 the, put, the, put them back in and look, look, I'll give him a mulligan. One of them was, was versus the Storm, 10 points. I'll take that out. Look, even taking that out, down to a 47 average. So, look, full games last year, 47 at 47 average, and around that, that up from 46.4. Jeez, <laughs> this is what you call painting a narrative, ladies and gentlemen. The case. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to paint a picture. Jesus, a 14 and a 27 there. <laughs> oh, mate, it's not good read, but look, absolute worst case scenario, you're going to get a 45 average off him. All right. So <laughs> that's above his that's above his price of forty. If you can throw in goal kick in there, and the fact that SJ's not there, there's probably a bit of upside. Probably, probably, I reckon you can probably get that to sixty, mate. Yeah, I, I, think I, I, I reckon that's I reckon that's a reasonable call, and it's probably a half decent decent shot. Um, but I think fifty-five is a bit more conservative. Uh, that's still fifteen uh, points better. I, I was just adding goal kicking in there, but you've got to take the negatives off goal kicking as well. It's not going to be like a storm net, you know, 15 Kim Smith type points. Um, so look, you, you add that value and th- those points in there and it gets a bit of value, but then you come back to it and go, all right, so who am I going to compare him to? Just go straight to the underpriced Roosters, Hales, mate, one of the better teams in the comp. You probably just go straight to something like that rather than him. So yeah, it's just, it's just the half availability as opposed to five out, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the elephant in the room if you've got the other cheap halves to play with. And, I mean, look, if you're if you're going to go for two cheap sixes, like at the moment I've got Moylan, who we'll talk about in a sec, and also Connor Watson as my sixes. I'm, there's no way I'm going to go a third dodgy cheap six in Chad Townsend, uh, half in Chad Townsend. You know, I, I, I've spent on, on a Moses and a Cleary combo in my halves because I'm going to go cheap at six. I think two out of your four... Six and seven positions need to be pretty reliable, um, reasonably reliable to play anyway. Um, so, and I don't think Chad Townsend ticks that box. So, you're not going to pick him over. You know, the, the guys in five eight that you can have in like a a Lamb, um, a Watson, and a Moylan. I don't. I think he's behind all those guys. But look, sneakily, he could have more value than a lot of guys. I just don't think Chad Townsend's that great, and I don't believe in him. But he could easily, like you said, Billy, be fifteen to twenty points unders. And he'll make some coin, and it's going to feel like real dirty coin. Like, it's going to feel like that you just did a real dirty job that you don't even want to tell people that you were doing to make that money. But you get the money in your pocket in the head, so maybe it's worth it. At the end of the day, points are points. doesn't matter how ugly they are. Even if there's a 14 or a 25 in there, it's average that counts. So if you can get a 55 average off him over the first five rounds, it's probably all you need. But I tell you what, you'd want to be using that coin that you're saving elsewhere because he is a risk. Yeah, you're not going to want to play him really either. Like, there's going to be a few games to start with that you're going to play him at. Um, this next guy is going to be tough to play as well, and that's Matt Moylan. But I do like him a lot more because he's a full 100k cheaper. So Moylan comes in at only 250k, and you can plug him in at um, your 5'8 spot, but he is a dual fullback 5'8 as well. In, in 2020, there wasn't a lot of sample size for him. You know, he only played the eight games, um, only averaged 29 points in those eight games, which is why he's so cheap, you know. But 
If you look at the four games that he did play at six in 2020, he still only averaged 29 points. So that's that's really bad. That included a couple of assists in it as well. But if you look at a bigger sample size with Moylan, you got to go all the way back to 2017 when he played virtually a full season. But that was a full season virtually at six. He only had two games where he played fullback. And he averaged 52 points a game. Now, that doesn't sound phenomenal, but when you're factoring that you're only paying 250k for him, and he's coming off a 29-point average, so it's actually 23 points better than his price point. If Matt Moreland can get to some type of form from a couple of years ago, he's well underpriced and really cheap. And you know what? You don't even need him to get to that 52. You know, If he gets to a 45 average... Billy, he's Matt Moylan's 16 points under still. So I look at him as a much better option, and I, I've got him at the moment, and I'm finding it. He's, he's not a guy that you can easily play, but at 250k, you really don't need to, do you? You can just let him sit there and make money. Oh, the fact that you actually went back to 2016 to try and justify... 17, it. mate. 2017, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 2017 open now, and the only time he actually scored points was he had a massive run. Round 9, 10, 11, 13, 14, basically when everyone was out for origin. <laughs> <laughs> Take those out, mate. And he's 43, 72, 43, 33, 35. It's just disgraceful. So you're <laughs> telling me every one of those disgraceful games was still above his price point that he's at at the moment. Yes, I'm still making yeah. money. See? See how good that is? Uh-huh. But I don't. I still don't think you grab that straw, mate. <laughs> I'm not even touching him as a price increase, mate. I would rather enough. Really, two hundred fifty thousand. No, not touching him. I, no. I, I don't like Moylan, but they have nothing. And you know, before his twenty nine average in twenty twenty, he's been forty five, fifty two, fifty nine. Like he's, he doesn't have to do much to make money. I just think he's wasting his spot. I've got Tex Hoy there. I'd much rather him. I'd take the points off him. I, I would much rather take Tex Hoy for four or five games kicking versus his opposing run and make absolutely zero coin for the points he's going to give me rather than benching Moylan and hopefully make cash wow, and have to, have to potentially play him. This has turned into an exciting finish to this podcast because this is almost shaping up as a beer bet. Like... I reckon Matt Moylan, like the thing with Tex Hoy, if you want to compare these two, like Tex Hoy's could be out round four, could be out round five. Matt Moylan is going to have those extra weeks just to keep making your money. Like, I don't think there's any way that by sort of round seven that Matt Moylan hasn't made more money than what Tex Hoy has. I don't doubt that at all. But you don't win this competition by having money in the bank. You win it by having points, and Moylan's not going to do that. Hoy quite possibly will. And I want him as a starter. I don't want to start Moylan. That's my argument. Oh, so you're you're actually going to play Hoya each week? Fuck yes. Wow. Jeez, that's um, that's confidence as well. See, oh, I'm looking at it like I'm not going to play either of them. There's no really. There's, yeah, look. You, uh, you, 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 hold on a sec. Let, let me say this out loud. You're not going to start a goal kicking fullback that is known for tackle busting and running versus the bottom three or four ranked teams in the competition. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll reserve. <laughs> maybe I'll reserve them. But look, I'm not going to start Moylan, and to me, the rest of my 17 is pretty solid. Like I um, 
Yeah, I'd rather have Moylan there to make more money because I've already got 17 other guys that I would start over both of them. I absolutely don't doubt at all Moylan's going to make money. I'm just after points, and I just think he's an absolute waste of money. My, my, look, my, 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 look, just just pulling my team very quickly uh, when when the thing refreshes. So while you're doing that, like what? So what if you have Connor Watson at, at hooker, and you've got Hoy and Moylan at five eight? Well, that could work. Either way, I'm starting Moylan. So, sorry, sorry. Either way, I'm starting Hoy. Yeah, that's fine. But like, uh, it's still uh, a team uh, build uh, where you could have them both there, right? Mate, at the moment, my bench is Papenhuizen, Hoy, Ricky, and Kalamatani. All right. Well, you should be able to finish 20k with that bench, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to follow this uh, this Moylan versus Hoy combination very, very closely as the season progresses. But I'm all over Moylan, not because I think he's great, but because he's floor at the moment is so low where he's starting at 29 points a game that he's got to get a lot better. And the Sharks <laughs> are going to be relying on him too because Townsend can't do a lot and Kennedy isn't going to do much at one. So, I mean, someone's got to do something from SJ's absence. Um, on that note, mate, that is the Storm and the Sharks wrapped up. Good to have you back on the podcast, getting... Uh, Getting back into it, ready? You're going to be on TLT next week, so I needed to warm you up the week before, so I hope you're feeling refreshed. Yeah, it was good to have a beer on a Tuesday night again with the excuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll be having a Tuesday night beer next week too, mate. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it, mate. All right, thanks for tuning in again, everyone. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Do download us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. I didn't actually share our episode around last week because I had a few technical issues, but I did mention on, on Twitter that the episode was there. If you missed out on it, we had the Perso episode last week where we went through the Tigers and also went through the Gold Coast Titans. If you missed out on it, go download that one as well. Uh, we'll have another episode this week, like I mentioned too. So it's all happening. TLT next week as well. Uh, I'll be going through my team on TLT as well and talking to you guys about it too. Uh, don't forget Top Sport, obviously, if you're going to go on there, gamble responsibly, but create the account with SC All Stars as your promo code, uh, and then they'll take care of you as one of our listeners. Good luck with your teams this week. TLT is going to sort them out next Tuesday, though, guys, and we'll be chatting to you again then as well. <laughs>